passage is Genesis 1, chapter 1. I'm going to read at verse 25 until the end, which is verse 31. Genesis 1, 25 to 31. It is up on the screen also. And, and God said, nope, sorry, 20, starting at 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Good morning, church. So good to be with you. My name is Pastor Ross. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. The reason you might not know me is because I got to be on sabbatical this summer with my wife. Sabbatical means that our church gave us the great gift of taking a chance to step back and rest from ministry. Not many pastors get to do this, and not this early in their ministry. So we are so, so grateful to you, everyone who made this possible and to everyone who helped us over our sabbatical, we're really, really grateful for you. And we look forward to sharing with you more about what that time was like at another opportunity. But yeah, thank you again. And it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back with you. See so, so many new faces. And it's so good to be in a place where God has been doing so much. So I praise the Lord for this church and the chance to minister here. I'm also so happy to be in the book of Genesis. So this book is like the building blocks God uses to build the rest of the Bible. A lot of the imagery, a lot of the concepts that God introduces here are the imagery and concepts that come up through the rest of the Bible. Who here gets confused when you read the Bible? Okay. Yeah, me too. I think a lot of our difficulty with reading the Bible is we don't understand these first few chapters of the Bible because these are the images and concepts God uses to build his whole scripture. So, so happy we get to go on this journey together through the beginning of the Bible. Now, as a result of these being the building blocks of the Bible, these are also some very dense, thick scriptures that are difficult to get through. I could think of about five different sermons we could preach on this text this morning. Right? There's so much in it. There's the origin of human beings. There's the introduction of human dignity. There's the introduction of human purpose. There's the introduction to humans' relationship to nature. There's the introduction to our relationship to work. And there's the introduction to male and female, to gender. All text. We could spend a lot of time here. 
We're going to spend two weeks. Okay, I'm going to preach this week on God's image and how that relates to authority and rule and dominion. And Pastor Sam's going to return next week and preach how that relates to and he made them male and female. Right? It's a very, uh, it's a, we're at a moment in our culture where we need to stop and meditate slowly on that very important topic. So that's what we're going to do next week is we're going to meditate even more on that phrase together. So let's get back into our story together. So far, there was God. And God started speaking. And a world existed out of nothing. He separated the light from the darkness and made a sky, and he filled the sky with stars and suns and moons. Then God kept speaking, and he separated the waters from the waters and made the seas. And he filled the seas with fish and all sorts of things that swim in the water. Then he separated the dry land from the water, and on the dry land he filled it with animals and creatures and all kinds of different creative awesome things. And after God made something, there's a phrase he repeats, he says, and it was good. God made good things. But what he hasn't said yet is what he made those good things for. We haven't yet learned the purpose of why this world exists. So as we get to day five and move into day six, we see animals, we see land, we see sky, we say water, and we should say, why, God? Why do these things exist? And that's what this text is going to get into. As God creates the most momentous and significant thing he does yet, he's going to introduce to us the reason why everything that he created exists. I want to learn this. I want to know why a world exists. I want to know why there's something rather than nothing. We're going to hear about purpose this morning behind what God has done. So let's hop into verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Those are mysterious words. Just ponder them for a moment. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God's people have been pondering those words for thousands of years. We're not going to fully figure them out this morning. But what we are going to do is learn some really valuable things from them. The first thing I want to point out is that this is different than what came before it. Right? This is different. So far in the story, it said, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Right? God commands, and it exists. It's simple, straightforward. It keeps moving. Now the story slows down. The story is slowing down. And for the first time in the story, God actually has a discussion about what he's going to do. God says, let, let us make man in our image. God's discussing what he's going to do. He's setting this apart as a special event beyond anything else that he's done so far. Now, who's God discussing with? I don't know. It's a mysterious text. It doesn't say what he's discussing with. Why does he call himself us instead of me or I? I don't know. That, that's not the point. One, one possibility 
is that he's having a discussion with himself, and the plural, the us, is the first clue that God is more than one person and one being. That could be it. There's not, there's not more clues that tell us that, but that could be it. The point isn't that we're supposed to dwell on those mysteries and figure out what all those little words mean in that text that doesn't tell us what they mean. Instead, we're supposed to see that God is drawing attention to what he's about to do next. He wants our attention fixed on what he's about to do. So let's take a closer look at what he did. The next wonderful thing that God does in our text on day six is he creates his image. You keep meditating on this. He creates his image. Now, what, what, what does that mean? For God to create his image. The very next phrase helps fill in that detail. It says, after our likeness. So maybe if you were to summarize the verse so far, we could say, God has said, let us make an image that is like us. So God's about to make something in his creation that's more like him than anything else, and it sets it apart from everything else that he has made. So far in, the, in this story, God's made fish according to their kinds. He's made animal according to their kinds. He's made trees and seeds according to their kinds. It doesn't say that human beings are to their kind here. It says human beings are made in the likeness and image of God. This text is supposed to make us wonder and amazed at what God has done. He did something unlike anything else that he did before when he created human beings. The word image in Hebrew means a statue or a replica. God, when God created humans, he created a statue that looked like him means that the role of human beings are to be a representative of God in his creation. So God's going to choose something special out of everything he made and say, that's the thing that represents me. That's the thing that shows what I am like. Which shows that when God's creating the world, his purpose is not fulfilled until it's filled with him. The, world, the purpose of the world is not fulfilled until it's fulfilled with him. So far, we had a good world, we had a beautiful world, but an incomplete world. And once God puts something in the world that, that's like him, we've gone to the level of completion. And we're going to see that in the rest of this text. This world is beautiful, but it is lacking as long as God is not filling it up. A world without God is no world at all. So from humans being his image, we learn more about what God's purpose is in creating the world. Pastor Sam shared this a few days ago. I thought it was helpful. That if a king were to build statues of himself all throughout his kingdom, what would he be saying about himself? He would be saying, I am worthy of attention. I am worthy of worship. I am worthy of your honor and praise. And in God creating human beings as his statues in his world that represent him, what he's saying to us is, I am worthy of worship. I'm worthy of praise. And he goes so far as to create a special creature to point to him day and night as the one who's worthy of worship forever and ever and ever. That's God's ultimate purpose. That's why the world exists. That's why something exists rather than nothing. 
And it also informs us what our purpose is. Our purpose to exist is to point attention and focus and praise and honor to God day and night. That's why we keep drawing breath and breathing. That's why we keep waking up every morning, because we're images meant to focus on the one whom we image. This is the greatest purpose for which we exist. We learn from this text that we're pointers to God and representatives of God to the world. We're like a bridge between heaven and earth. Right? You're pointing upward towards God and representing God outward to the world. Nothing else gets to be in this position between heaven and earth like a human being does. You're like a bridge calling the creation upward to worship God and representing God to the creation. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So when you ask, what exactly is the image of God? Like, what is it? Once again, I don't know. It could be our intellectual capabilities. It could be our capacities for relationship and love and and all these things that we can do that nothing else can do in creation. It could be that. And I think those things are all part of it. But the focus in this passage seems to be on God's purpose for us to bring attention to him and represent him to the world. That seems to be what the focus is on, what the effect of being in the image of God is, is you occupy a special place. Humans occupy a special place in the world that nothing else occupies and have a special purpose that nothing else has. So let's keep learning now about this image that God has made in verse 26. We're going to keep reading the same verse we started. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the first thing God says that human beings have is dominion. Dominion is a word that means rule. Or if you had a vineyard and you were treading down grapes in the vineyard, That's what that word means. First thing God does when he makes human beings is he makes them rulers like himself over everything he made. To be God's original purpose for a human being is to be a co-ruler of the world with him, to share his rule over the world. God gets glory when his will is done on earth, when he rules over every part of it. When he's disobeyed, when he's resisted, is where glory is being stolen from him. But when God's rule is extended over all the earth and all the world conforms to his will, is when he gets glory. So we said before that an image, that a human is an image bearer meant to bring glory to God. How in this text does an image be, human being bring glory to God? Ruling over the creation, subduing it to God's purposes. I know this is an interesting idea because this is very different from what we understand our world to be like today. We're going to understand it more as we walk through the story because we're in the story before the fall right now. But before the fall, when God made the world, the way he would get glory through human beings is they would rule the world, share the divine rule with him over everything he's made, and bring him glory. They would get to be representatives of his that get to rule over the heavens, 
the, the birds in the heavens, the animals on the earth, and the fish of the sea. It's amazing in this text that God doesn't withhold anything from his people. Nothing. Everything he made, he gives it to them. He gives them everything. Even his own job. They get to do his job with him. Like we, I don't know if you've ever had take your son or daughter to work day. I remember doing that when I was a kid. It was so cool. And God has that relationship alone with his people he's made. You get to share his job with him over everything that he created. The point we should have is we should be in awe of what God made us when he made human beings. Are you in awe this morning at what God made? He set it above everything. He set humans above everything. He gave them his own authority unlike anything else. If we aren't in awe of what God made when we read this text, we're not reading it. So God, please, please help us to be in awe of human beings that you made. As we move on to verse 27, we're going to hear a lot of repetition. As we move on to verse 28, we're going to hear a lot of repetition. As we move through the rest of this chapter, we're going to hear a lot of repetition. And that's actually how the Bible works. So the Bible keeps repeating ideas over and over again. It's called meditation literature so that we think about it over and over again and internalize it. So you don't, human beings, it doesn't work this way. You don't just hear something once and get it. You need to hear it over and over and over again. And that's what the Bible is going to do now. It's going to turn these concepts over and over until we understand them better. So verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Does anyone hear any word repeating there? Create. 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 So far in chapter 1 of Genesis, God's only used the word create twice. So the word creation has only been used twice. Now in this verse, when it's talking about people, three times. Create. 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 God's created something when he created the world, and then when he created human beings, he created something. You guys get the point? He created, and this was good, and then when he made human beings, he created something. So don't miss that point. That's why I keep saying that word over and over and over again. Created them in his image. Created them in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. Like I said, we're going to pause and meditate on that word, those words more next week. But something to say right now is that lest there be any confusion, when God made men and when God made women, he created them both in his image. So verse 26 says, let us make man in our image. And we might think, oh, that's talking about males, but that's actually the generic word for humankind. Let us make humankind in our image. That's why here when we get to verse 27, it says male and female, he created them. So the glorious design of gender, of men and women living in harmony together in God's garden, ruling the world together, is his picture of what his image is like. And 
And it's not like you have to be married to be in his image. Marriage is when you take two images and bring them together into one. As a person, as a human being, you're made in the divine image and get to share the divine rule and exist as a beautiful, unique creation of God over everything else he's created. Let's keep meditating now in verse 28. Like I said, it's going to repeat same concepts over and over again, bring them deeper into our hearts. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When I read that, I think, wow, that's epic. That is epic. Like the first thing in the story God says to people when he makes them is multiply, rule, and subdue. Like go conquer. It's amazing to me that the first thing God says to humans is go conquer the world. I want to keep thinking about that, but let's look at what else he says in this verse. And God bless them is what it says first. The word blessed means full or to make full. So he didn't create human beings lacking. He didn't create them empty. He created them full of himself and full of the power they needed to fulfill this mission. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Every child we have in this church is a miracle. Miracle. Every time God creates a child, it's a miracle. And he gave this blessing to human beings at the start so they could fulfill the mission. If their mission is to fill the earth, to cover the earth and rule over it, they're going to have to be a whole lot more than two of them, aren't there? So God starts doing the work of, after creating the first two humans, he blesses them to be able to create more humans and fill and cover the earth with his glory and his rule. I just love this picture at the beginning of the Bible. The first thing God does is he sends his people on a grand adventure to the ends of the earth. I just wonder if any of us here are struggling with being bored with following Jesus or bored with the Christian life. I've been there. And what this story is showing to us is that at the start, when you follow the God of the Bible, you are answering the call to adventure. You're coming out of a purposeless life into a purposeful life. You are answering the call to adventure when you follow the God of the Bible. And I know things have changed from this moment. It's a different world now than the pre-fall. But we're sent to the ends of the earth with Jesus to make disciples of all nations and bring the rule of God into every home and every heart, everywhere. We're still on this adventure. And I just submit to anyone here this morning that if you're bored of Jesus, if you're bored of the Bible, if you're bored of these things, perhaps, perhaps you haven't submitted yourself to this mission like God is calling to you yet. This is the purpose and mission that lasts forever. This is the mission that the results will never end, and it's global. We're all in this together with all the other churches in this city, all the other churches in the world, bringing the divine rule all over the created world. And there's nothing that could be more exhilarating. God shows us at the beginning, he's inviting us into an adventure 
to bring his rule to the end of the world. Now, when God's telling people to subdue the world and have dominion over it, it's before the fall. Before, we see in the story of the Bible, when God first creates humans in the land, there's a harmony and unity between them. After sin enters into the world, there's hostility between humans and the ground. So you hear humans subduing the earth and ruling it. You might think exploitation. You might think all sorts of like mistreating the earth and not taking care of the environment. None of this is present here before the fall. What we see is God cultivating a garden in a wilderness, and what God sends his humans out to do is to cultivate a garden in a wilderness, not exploit anything, not harm anything. So this is what the original call to subdue the earth would look like, would be to bring life where there isn't life yet. And that's still what our call is, to go and subdue the earth by bringing life where there is not life yet, not by exploiting or hurting anyone else, but by bringing life where there is not life yet. That's what God calls his people to. That's the commission of our God. That's the heart of our God in creating people. This is the great purpose, church, for which we're alive. This is like why God made you and why God saved you. And I want to live this out with you more and more. I want to live out this call with you more and more every day. Verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So the first thing after God gives them their mission, gives people their mission, is he gives them provision. God gives his people their mission, and he gives them provision. How many of you know that when God calls you to something, he'll give you what you need to accomplish that? That's the picture we have right here. A beautiful garden with apples falling off of trees for them to pick up off the ground and feast on them so that they have the strength they need to go and subdue the wilderness. We all love apple orchards. We're all going to go visit them in a few weeks because we love them, and they're an echo and a picture of this beautiful pre-creation, pre-fall environment God made when he first made the world and put us in it. Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So the next thing God does after giving human beings their food is he gives animals their food. And I think what this is a picture of is the unity and harmony of animals in the world before the fall. So now there's a hostility between human beings and animals, and we literally eat one another. Right? I love eating animals, but, <laughs> but there, before there was a peace between animals and humans where we would share the same food, and they would, like, I don't know, like be our servants and help us spread throughout the world and bring the world under the rule of God. I have a little dog, and I love my relationship with that dog. He, like, 
naps on my feet while I eat my meal and things like that. It's like to- totally surrendered to my rule, and I love it. <laughs> and it just seems like the whole animal world was meant to be like that before the fall, before there's this estrangement between us and the earth, between us and the animals. There's God creating just a unity between all these things and then sending us out on mission for the sake of his name. Verse 30 ends, and it was so. I love that phrase, and it was so. So God just says something, and it was so. Everything obeys God. Even inanimate objects obey God when he speaks. That's how powerful he is. And if you read the whole chapter, and it was so, appears seven times, and this is the seventh time. Seven in the book of Genesis and in the entire Bible is a number of completion or fulfillment. So for this to be the seventh time God says, and it was so, is saying that he's bringing his completion to fulfillment with his images ruling in his world. Seven times it was so. Seven times bringing the earth and the world to completion how he wanted it to be. And God saw everything he made, and behold, verse 31, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It's no longer good anymore. It's very good. It's very good now that God's images are ruling in his world and spreading his rule everywhere. And this is the seventh time it says it was good. So it's a complete goodness the world God has made when he made the world. It's not like things are today. The world he made was good seven times over, complete, perfect, full, not lacking anything. It was blessed. So whenever you think, God, how could the world be this way? Remember, this is is not the world God made. The world he made is very good seven times over, perfect and full. I want to um, spend a few more minutes just talking about a few implications of this text now for us. Implication one, God does not make junk. Did you know that? God does not make junk. And when he calls something his image, it is definitely not his junk. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you, You are an image bearer of God, and you dare not believe the lie that you are valueless or purposelessness. You dare not believe that. If God calls the image, you dare not believe elsewise. Right? As we move through the story, there's a fall where the image of God is distorted and marred and twisted. But as the story goes on, later on in Genesis, when Adam has a son, that son is made in Adam's likeness and in Adam's image which is reminding us that just as Adam was made in the image of God, so are all of his descendants. We, as image bearers, dare not think we are worthless or without purpose when God has said we are made in his image. Implication number two, if we are still in God's image, then we still have the same purpose which is the point to God and bring him glory all the time, day and night, without ceasing. If we're in God's image, we have the same purpose. Now, like I said, we're trying to spread God's rule through the world by making disciples. 
question. How are you going to spread God's rule if he's not ruling over you? Every time we have sin and nurture it in our heart, it's rebelling against God. And I actually think that it's the ultimate contradiction in this text to be an image of God and to be in sin. Right? God says, you are my co-ruler, and I want to rule the world with you and spread my kingdom with you. And for that co-ruler to be in rebellion against God should blow our minds. We should think, what? What? If our purpose as images is to bring glory to God, we dare not refuse to surrender to him in any way. We dare not refuse to him in any, surrender to him in any way. Some questions to ask ourselves. Is God ruling every part of you? Your words, how you work, how you parent, how you spend your time, how you use sex, money, and power. Is God ruling over you in all of those areas? Implication three. While we're still images of God, right? We've been distorted images. We've been marred. We've been vandalized by sin. And the good news of the gospel is that God sent one man named Jesus who was the perfect image of God. As we read on in the story, there's actually no hope because there's this distorted image bearer after distorted image bearer after fallen image bearer after failed image bearer until we get to Jesus of Nazareth who is the first human ever to live a fully human life as a full image of God. He's the first time there's hope in the story. And when Jesus goes to the cross, dies, and then rises from the grave, he invites people to follow him, and the people who follow him, he starts to restore the image of God in them. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, he is day by day restoring the image of God in you. Isn't that amazing? The image of God distorted and vandalized by sin by following Jesus is being remade in you. And you're regaining the purpose God made you for. You're regaining the beauty God made you with. That's what Jesus came to do as an image bearer who gives his life is restore other image bearers who have fallen. So I just want to invite you this morning, if you've never followed Jesus yet, and you're disappointed with who you are and who you've become in your sin, I invite you to start following him this morning, because he wants to put the image of God back together in you. He wants to restore you. And if you want to know more about that, please talk to me or anyone else up here after the gathering. We'd just love to have you follow Jesus with us and become restored with us, become fully human with us, become image bearers made afresh with us. One other beautiful thing about this is that for those of us who are following Jesus together, we're actually helping each other become fully human together. If to be an image of God is to be fully human... Right? We're truly human, but, but there's some ways that the fall has distorted us and messed with our humanity. When we start following Jesus together, we become fully human like him. We are in a community where we're helping each other become fully human. 
where we're helping each other turn away from the dehumanizing practices of pornography, drug addiction, over-consuming social media or media, gossip and bitterness, and instead we get to become more like Jesus in how we love other people and love God. We're helping each other become fully human as we follow Jesus together. And I just love that. That's what the church gets to be, a community where we help one another do this together. So as a closing word, let's surrender more than ever to the rule of God in our lives so that he can use us to extend his rule in the world more than ever. Isn't that what we want? The world covered with his image, covered with his glory, covered with his beauty, not with the ugliness that it's covered with right now, but covered with God, full of God. Let's surrender more to him. Let's give him more of ourselves as a church so he'll use us as his church to spread his image and his rule into more places, more people, and more cities the hope of this message that we should walk away with this morning, that even though sin came, God's original purpose has not ceased. God's original purpose to rule over all the world through his people has not been defeated. That is what we're here for, church. And that's what he's calling us into. Let's pray together.